So think with me for a minute. What is the most exciting, special thing you have ever been invited to? Take a minute, think about it. I'll be right back. Uh, is that enough time? You mean to leave for a minute? Oh, no, you're good. Okay. So I'll tell you mine first. So mine was getting a phone call with two tickets. Actually, it was, it was one ticket. It was just me to game one of the 2015 World Series. That's right. It was amazing. Now, here's the thing. It was, in a sense, that invitation. It was, in a sense, inconvenient. I know you're, you're yelling at your screens right now, but here's what I mean. It was like the day before. I wasn't planning on going. I had to move things around. I had to work the next day. If you remember, that game went to like 3 a.m. in the morning or something like that. It was a night away from my family, right? So in a sense, it was inconvenient. And in no way did I deserve to go. I mean, I didn't buy the tickets. I'm not from Kansas City. Uh, so when I told people who are from here that I was going, they were really, really mad at me. Uh, I remember I told our our family pastor, Don Heckert, and she, she punched me in the shoulder. She was so mad that I got to go to this game. And I told our worship pastor, Randy Bonifield, and I thought he was going to start crying uh, when I told him I was going. I know I didn't deserve it, it was, but, and I knew that it, I'd have to move things around, but I didn't care. Why? Because there are certain things in life, no matter how inconvenient and no matter uh, how you got invited, you do not say no to it. You go. Now, this is how every Jew felt about the Messianic banquet. Maybe you've never heard that term before, Messianic banquet. But uh, all throughout the Old Testament, uh, the Jewish scriptures uh, that Jesus is constantly alluding to in, in his teaching, all throughout the Jewish scriptures, and in particular in the prophets in the Old Testament, when they talk about God's kingdom coming, and him making everything right in the world, undoing death, undoing pain and grief, setting all injustices right, right? All of these beautiful pictures we get of God's kingdom coming. One of the signs, one of the outcomes of, of his kingdom coming is this image of Messiah, God's anointed one, who will bring his kingdom, setting before the nations a table, a banquet, a feast, where everyone is invited to come and eat with God. This is just one of the running themes throughout the Old Testament. This is the Messianic banquet. And every Jew who knew his or her Old Testament knew this idea, anticipated this feast to come. And there's no way any Jew would say no to it, right? They were all excited. That's why, actually in this parable that we're going to look at uh, today together, just before it, uh, Jesus is literally at a dinner table when he tells this parable. And there's a guy sitting across from him, and Jesus mentions what it's going to be like uh, at the Messianic banquet. And this guy responds to him and says, blessed are all who eat bread in the kingdom of God. And essentially that what this guy is saying is, Jesus, you're talking about this, and, and we know how, how great is it going to be when, when we together eat at God's table. How amazing will that be? I can't wait for that moment. And Jesus takes this opportunity when this guy says this, to tell a parable. And essentially what he says, yes, this banquet will be amazing. It will be great. It will be 
unlike anything you've ever seen before. But you might not be there. You might say no to my invitation. And it's a really shocking thing for Jesus to say at this time. Even now to us, it's shocking. Jesus is saying that there is no one today, there's no one watching even right now who is not invited to God's kingdom banquet. We are all invited, everybody. But Jesus says not everyone will show up. So here's our big idea for today. Let's show up when Jesus invites us. Let's show up. There are certain things you do not say no to. This is one of them. So let me retell the parable uh, and then draw a couple of principles from it. So if uh, you have your Bible near you, turn to Luke uh, 14. That's where we're going to be, kind of starting in verse 15. So grab that. Uh, Let me just uh, read verses 16 and, and 17 here. So Jesus said to this person, a man, he starts telling the parable, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. So Jesus is is telling us a a really common practice for party throwing at the time. So kind of like today, if you were going to throw a a banquet, you would send um, messengers or servants out to go have everyone save the date in RSVP. So they would go from house to house and say, you're invited on such and such a day to come to this house and enjoy uh, this uh, feast, this banquet together. And uh, will you be able to come? And people would say yes. And they would mark the date, you know, on their calendar. And then when the day came, the servant would go back out again and say, everything's ready. Now, when you hear the word kind of banquet in this translation, Uh, You might be thinking like a dinner party, right? Something small and intimate. That's not the idea here at all. Jesus says, this is a great feast. Think more like the Grammys. Think something really, really big. And remember at this time, hospitality is a huge deal. So people go above and beyond when they throw a party. And this was, this just, no one had the money to throw a lot of parties. So when one happened, it was a really, really big deal in your community. So think huge party, lots of people, the best food, the best wine, the best entertainment, gift bags, t-shirts, the whole thing, okay? Huge feast. And when the fondue is bubbling and the music is playing and everything is ready, the master of the feast says to his servant, okay, go back to everyone who RSVP'd yes and tell them we're ready, they can come. And one by one, Jesus tells, the excuses start rolling in. So the first uh, guy tells the servant, hey, listen, I know I said I would come, but I just bought a field and I need to go look at it, so please excuse me. Next guy, you know what? I just bought oxen. I need to go inspect them. Please excuse me. And then the last guy, hey, I just got married. My wife won't let me go or something. I don't know. Please excuse me. Now, when the way Jesus tells this, it's obvious that these are really lame excuses. Like they just don't hold water. So Number one, if you are going to buy a field, just like you would buy a house today, uh, you would inspect it before you buy it. No one makes that kind of financial commitment without looking at it ahead of time. So, So saying, I bought a field and now I need to go check it out doesn't make any sense. The same is true of the oxen. You do not make that kind of financial investment without looking at them ahead of time. If you've already bought them, you should have already inspected them. And then, of course, this last one, I just got married. It's like, dude, just bring her with you. Who doesn't want to go to this party? Again, these excuses don't really add up. But So the servant comes back and tells the host, hey, no one's coming. 
And the hostess is furious. And this is what he says in the parable in verse uh, now 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now that's the end of the parable. So basically the host is saying, go out and tell all the people who never get invited to anything to come. People who never, the outcast, the poor, the lower class, the ethnic minority, right? Go get them and bring them to this party. Because in the ancient world, not unlike today, parties were opportunities for networking and uh, garnering favor with important people. And the, 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 the class structure of the Roman world was evident in every party, where you sat, what you ate, who you were able to talk to. And so you only invited people who would be able to reciprocate for you somehow, to get you a business deal, to get you a good contract from the government, whatever that happened to be. This host says, forget all that. Go get everybody who never get invited to anything and bring them to my party. The servant comes back and says, we've done that. There's still room. And he says, okay, now do this. Go out, go out of town. Go to the country roads, right, where no one goes. Go get more people and bring them to this feast. Fill this room, says the host, with people who are willing to be here with me. And then Jesus does something really dramatic. He switches from telling the story from the host's perspective to his perspective. He says, for I tell you, and Jesus kind of hints here that he's the host. I tell you, none of the others will eat at my table. That's how Jesus ends the parable. So what are we to make of this? What is Jesus getting at? A couple of things. A couple of things Jesus doesn't want. That, that are hinted at here in this parable. And the first is that Jesus does not want our lip service faith. He doesn't want lip service. And here's what I mean. Maybe you have a friend, or maybe you are the friend, <laughs> who always says, yes, they're going to show up at such and such party or place or park or restaurant, whatever, and like the minute before they cancel, they, they don't show. They say one thing and they do another, and they just do it consistently. It's a habit in life. Jesus is saying, do not be that kind of friend to me. Don't do that. Don't go to Jesus and say, yes, I'll come when you invite me. But when the moment arrives, when it actually matters, you do not show up. In other words, Jesus is saying, your good intentions to show up are not nearly as important as actually showing up. When I invite you to my table, when I invite you into relationship with me, when I invite you into a life of faith with me, Your good intentions do not matter nearly as much as your action. And Jesus illustrates this actually in another parable. This is in the book of Matthew, where he tells the story of two sons. Uh, There's a father who tells the first son, hey, can you go out in the field and work today? And that son says, no, I'm not going to do that, dad. And he walks away. But later, the text says he has a change of heart, and he ends up obeying. He goes to the field and works The second son comes to his father, and the father gives him the same command. And this son says, yes, father, I'll do it, but later decides not to, and actually never ends up going to the field to work. And Jesus 
ends that parable by saying, basically, which son obeyed the father? The one who said they were going to do it or the one who actually did it? And we're meant to say, of course, it's the one who actually did it. Our intentions are not nearly as important as our obedience. Obedience is what matters to Jesus. So think about it. Where have you RSVP'd yes to Jesus? Yes, Jesus, I want to take you seriously. I want to make more time to spend with you. I, I, I want to actually commit to a family of faith. Like I've been saying for years and years, yes, Jesus, I'm going to get around to that. Where have you RSVP'd to Jesus, but you have actually no intention of showing up and actually doing it? See, that's the kind of faith Jesus is looking for. Not a lip service faith, but an obedient faith. If, you're gonna, if you say you're coming to my table, if you say you're coming to my banquet, says Jesus, then show up. Show up. The second thing Jesus doesn't want is our good excuses. Now, here's what I mean by that. Like I said before, in a, in a very real sense, the, the excuses that are listed here are, are pretty lame. Uh, we kind of went over that. However, each excuse represents something about human life that's actually quite fundamental and quite important. And Luke actually does this often in his gospel. He lists really common objections to following Jesus that we all tend to have. So the field represents our possessions and our, and our wealth. This is often an obstacle to following Jesus. Jesus, i got to take care of my stuff before I can follow you. Uh, the oxen, in some ways, represents our work, our status, our productivity. Jesus, let me, let me handle my work stuff first, and then I'll come and follow you. And the last one, uh, the wife, represents our family or our relationships. Jesus, i got to take care of my family first before I can really take you seriously. So even though the excuses are lame, they represent things that are real and important in every human life. And Jesus will often list these as the main excuses that people make when they are confronted with following him or not. And here's the lesson here is that the only thing more dangerous than our bad excuses for following Jesus, for showing up to his banquet, the only thing more dangerous are our good excuses. The real reasons we have for not following Jesus or taking him seriously. And let me just add that a while back, uh, Pastor Alan Mercer, he wrote a great blog, I think this was back in March or April, uh, during quarantine, when he asked, hey, you know, we're all coming out of lifestyles that were probably unsustainable. They were frantic, they were busy and distracted and overscheduled. And probably all of those were done for really good reasons, right? My kids and their welfare and their happiness and their opportunity, or my job, uh, or uh, for my comfort and security and making sure I have enough money, enough resources, right? They're all good reasons why we're doing these things. And yet, they were killing us. This was Alan's point in the blog. They were not for our flourishing. And he kind of concluded with, this is a prime place and time to cut out the good things that keep us from saying yes to more and more of Jesus and his presence and his community in our lives. This is the time to evaluate those good excuses. Yes, they will cost us something to say no to them. But what is it that we need to say no to, to say Yes to more of Jesus. We should expect it will cost us something. But Jesus says there's something so much better on the other side of that. And so we know what Jesus doesn't want. What does he want? What is he telling us in this parable that he wants from us? And I think 
this first one's fairly obvious. He wants us. Jesus wants us to come to his banquet. And here's, what I, here's why that's important. Notice Jesus doesn't want religious people. He doesn't want rich people. He doesn't want well-educated people. He wants all people. In fact, he goes out of his way to say, I, I want even the kind of people that nobody else pays attention to. That's who I want. I want anyone and everyone who is willing to show up at my table. Anyone and everyone. That includes us. You cannot miss Jesus' intent here. He says, get people into the room who want to be here. That's who's going to sit at my table. And maybe you're thinking and you're, wa- you're, you're, you're watching right now and you're thinking, uh, there's no way Jesus wants me at his table. Right? I, I don't look the part. I don't live the part. I don't know my Bible. This isn't for me. Just, Jesus wants you there. So show up. He's not interested in this other stuff. And if you're watching and you haven't accepted this invitation from Jesus, if you haven't said yes to Jesus' invitation and and shown up to learn from him, I want to just encourage you, please fill out a Connect card on our, our website. We'd love to follow up with you. Uh, and spend some time with you telling you what it looks like to say yes and to show up at Jesus' party, to become a part of his community. And maybe if you have a Christian friend even in your life close to you, reach out to that person and say, explain more to me what it means to follow Jesus and to show up at his, at his great feast. For those of us, though, who, who have said yes and are watching, Jesus wants one more thing, probably more than that, but at least one more thing. Jesus wants us, but he also wants our table. He wants our table. And here's the thing. Jesus does not invite me alone to this banquet. He invites us together. This is not a Jesus and me thing. This is a Jesus and us thing. You cannot read this parable without a heart change and a table change. Jesus wants our table. If Messiah's table looks like a diverse group of people from every walk of life, every socioeconomic status, every ethnic status, right? If if this is what Messiah's table looks like, does our table look like that too? Because if we aren't practicing for that time where we feast with God, we really aren't preparing for it very well. We've talked a lot over the past several years about hospitality as a church. What is it? What does it mean to be a welcoming, hospitable church? Not only in our building, but in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities. Uh, how, so, for so many people, their first taste of this messianic banquet is going to be at the home, at the table of a believer who points them to Jesus. This is Jesus' strategy. Notice, read the book of Luke, how many times he's sitting at a table, at a meal, sharing the gospel. He, he does it over and over and over again. So how do our tables look? Do we invite people into our lives and to our meals, to our Christmases and our Easters who do not have community, who do not look like us, they do not think like us? Do we invite folks over, maybe who are single, don't have family nearby, to those special holiday moments so that they are included in our church family? Do we do that? Can we point to people in our neighborhoods who look and think and act differently than we do? Have we welcomed them to our backyards, to our grill outs on on July 4th? 
to our family meals, to get to know them, to learn from them, and to share this good news of Jesus' invitation? Do our tables look different? If we truly want to follow this Messiah, our hospitality has to look radically different than the rest of the world. That's the point of this parable. Jesus says, here's, who's, here, here's the people that everybody invites. But my table is not only for them, it's for the people nobody invites, for those who, who maybe make certain people uncomfortable, who challenge our expectations, who challenge our assumptions. That's who my table is for, Jesus says. Do our tables look like this? I don't know about you, but I, as I've reflected on that, preparing for this, I felt convicted that my table is often for me and my comfort rather than as, as a means to sharing Jesus with others. And so I need to repent even of the times I've, I've not thought strategically about that. And one of the ways actually we can prepare our hearts and repent and even receive and remember God's forgiveness is at his table. It's so important that before Jesus leaves, he gives us this practice of the Lord's Supper, communion, to remind us that we always have access to his forgiveness and we always have access to his table. And we're practicing for that great banquet to come where we sit with Jesus, not remembering that he will return, but celebrating that he did return. So we want to take a few minutes now, even in our homes, to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So gather the elements around your home uh, we have a, a slide uh, after this. We'll give you a couple of instructions on how to do this. But let's take a minute and celebrate the Lord's Supper together.